Cavalcade Audio Productions presents Star Drifter, the science fiction patio book series written and read by David Collins Rivera. Book Two, Street Candles. Today's installment, Chapter 23. I walked maybe three or four hundred meters, going past several factories and shipping facilities, until I came to a comparatively small building behind a fence. It had steam coming from a vent pipe, and there were no lights on. Steam meant warmth, even if it was only waste heat from some production system on minimal power. A quick look around found a hole in the fence on one side, behind a tall pile of mixed trash. Someone had cut it with a fair amount of precision, but that was a long time ago, as there were plastic bags and strips of rags and paper caught on the edges, just as it was with the rest of the fence. The hole was low, and I cleared it easily on hands and knees, but upon standing up, I slipped on an icy patch that was in shadow. Landing hard, I scraped my hands and reopened my cut lip. For a few seconds, my ribs jabbed, throbbed, screamed in my chest, and I just didn't want to get up again. Day two on Barlow, local time. I'd laughed and killed since arriving here. I'd been cold and toasty warm. I'd encountered appalling cruelty and simple kindness. I'd been honored and beaten. I'd moved among trash and among luxury. I'd been hungry and thirsty, full and slaked. I had been terrified and felt safe. Right now, I was on all fours, breathing in sharp gasps. The pain didn't really go away, so I stood slowly, carefully, holding on to a crate. This was a small courtyard. It was strange because it didn't go anywhere. That is to say, there was no door to the building in evidence and no gate in the fence itself. The space was filled with trash, a bunch of barrels and boxes and an old cargo lifter broken and dead. How they'd gotten it all in here was a complete mystery, but all things considered, the bigger mystery was why I even cared. Standing up straight let me breathe a little easier, but I had to walk stiffly like a wind-up toy. Those things were popular again in all the station souvenir shops, toddling figures with keys on their backs, pro-athletes, silly vid characters, starships, animals, and now, apparently, stout gunners. There were some grimy windows down here. I picked one and found it to be a shatter-resistant pane, but with a cheap rubber seal. One hard kick. It made me sway with a stabbing spike to the side, as if I was on the receiving end, again. The glass popped inward, undamaged and still in a single piece. It hit the carpeted floor at a strange angle and cartwheeled off out of sight. 
This effort left me ready to topple over, the icy, trashy courtyard now swirling like water in a drain. I pitched forward and half fell through the open window, tumbling to the carpet. I lay there with tears in my eyes and gritted teeth, trying not to breathe. That didn't work too well, but in time I was able to push myself up and look around, dizzy and sickly. Did I ever put on a nerve block? I felt for my forehead, but there was nothing. I would do it as soon as I found a safe place to sit, to rest, maybe to sleep a bit. A dim measure of the outside daylight filtered in from the window and from a few others on the floor. I was in some sort of small meeting cubicle. Square table, plastic chairs, cheap fabric walls. But it was warm in here. Warm enough that if I got away from the open window, my cold gear could come off. Paranoia forced me to take a tour of the place. I switched on the light amp function of my retinals, figuring a headache couldn't make me feel any worse at this point, while tripping over stuff in the dark probably could. The place came up in a dim grayscale, blurry too, but I could see. There were desks and chairs here, and a few tables piled high with papers and stuff. Five minutes of tramping around revealed I was alone. It seemed like a small executive office building, distinct from but attached to a large chem plant of some kind. They appeared to be keeping minimal functions alive over there. Maybe this place, like so many others, had been sitting empty since Stilda. The factory itself was through a set of thick double doors that actually appeared to be blast-resistant. They were manually slide-bolted on the office side. The cluttered but cozy personality of the small building stood in direct contrast to the dank, fumy atmosphere I found on the other side of these doors. All that could be seen in the gloom was densely packed machinery. My breathing was already a sharp and shallow affair, but the acrid air quality made it worse. Though not unbearable with the bulk of the machinery off and silent, working here full tilt must have been horrific. There were dim glow lights on the floor here and there, and small status indicators on some of the equipment, but this just lent the place an extra forbidding atmosphere in my black and white eye view. The idea of exploring any further was unattractive, and I had just turned back to the relative comfort of the offices when I thought I heard something out there. It was faint and muffled by distance, to say nothing of the equipment and chemical barrels crammed into nearly every conceivable spot. Music. It warbled quietly. A blues tune. Maybe live, maybe recorded, I couldn't tell from where I stood. Just a guitar and a man's voice, two instruments perfectly suited to express the melancholy of the human condition. It was hardly out of place here, all things considered, yet still thoroughly unexpected. Music could mean people, and people usually meant trouble. But I was suddenly strangely curious, and much too frazzled to worry except to keep my rifle close, of course. 
I tramped over concrete walkways cluttered with control stations, boxes of packaged chem products, labeled barrels, and random trash. I moved as quietly as I could manage, which wasn't very, past open pits of concentrated chemicals and solvents. They burned my eyes and stabbed my sinuses, making for heaving breaths that were extra memorable. The song just floated through the place, like a scent all its own, and I followed without thinking. This got me turned around as I walked through random, ever-changing machinery. I eventually realized I couldn't find my way back. That was disconcerting, but also impetus to go on. At length, I moved around some densely packed conduits that led to some storage tanks, massive cylindrical things that must have been several stories tall, dripping more of the smelly noxious stuff I'd been choking on all along. It gathered in yellowish puddles on the floor before trickling away into a corroded drain. There was a muted brightness coming from behind the tanks, which also seemed to be from where the music was coming. I double-checked the panther to be sure the anti-purse rounds were selected. We sure didn't need an explosion in this place. Slowly, clumsily, I stepped around one of the giant tanks. Under a graded stairwell that twisted around one of them up out of sight, a wide, badly stained sheet of cloth was propped up like a tent or a lampshade. I waved off my light amps as I approached, because the sheet glowed a warm yellow. Indistinct shadows, at once both exotic and mysterious, were thrown up upon it from within. Hello? I called, not wanting to startle anyone, not doubting that I did. A voice as soft as the light on the shade, and as simple and enigmatic, replied to me, not loudly and above the music, so much as beside it, like that of another sad singer just joining in. I'm armed. It was a man's voice, middle-aged perhaps, or younger. He spoke English with no accent to my ears. So am I. I want no trouble. I just came in out of the cold. And you need to be right here, came the reply, with some irony. It's a big place. Heard your music, I said. I was curious. Was? The tone was easy, soft, laced with good humor. It was benign, almost surreal. Truth be told, I stated like an admission of guilt, testing the joviality of the unseen speaker. The threat of violence has a way of kicking my questioning nature into silence. I consider it a character flaw. A shady blob, low to the floor against the curtain, shifted a bit as the man inside laughed out loud. It was a happy, easy burst of genuine mirth, so incongruous in this cold, violent, hate-filled world. Laughter without an undercurrent, a sense of humor in a senseless place. It was surprising, disarming, and I found myself grinning. Well, we can't have that. <laughs> now, where'd I leave my rocket gun? Bother. Seems I'm not armed after all, stranger. 
Step into my fabulous penthouse suite and enjoy my palatial hospitality. That would be a stupid thing to do. A stupid thing to trust in this place. It would enable predation and invite loss of life or free action. Indeed, it could end up being the last thing I ever did. Except that I was exhausted and shaky and so tired of calculating the motives of others. I was in a lot of pain and still hungry, filthy to the core, to the soul, and I suddenly just wanted to sit quietly and listen to the music. Yeah, I was smiling, because in this horrible city, on this horrible planet of duplicity and violence, there was a man who maybe trusted me out of hand. Oh, perhaps he was like the rest of them, but foolishness cut both ways, and with his relative comfort and warmth, with poetry flowing from his understair hovel, he had more to lose than any broken, bleeding man from outer space. So I fumbled with the curtain a bit until an edge revealed itself, then held it back with one hand. The other was still on my rifle, but I had it pointed down and away. The place was a small nest of fluffy crate stuffing and square, blue-quilted shipping cushions. A bare industrial light with a yellow lens sat on a box to the back. Another crate bore a small, battered multimedia unit from which the music came. There were cans and food packs here and there, ration bar wrappers, and several empty grano bottles. And there was a man, alone, dressed in rags, lying back on the soiled cushions like a down-at-heel sultan. Or what had once been a man. He was scarred along the face and neck from burns, and his left eye was gone. His hair was gone. His left ear and both arms were gone, charred away in whatever horrific mishap he'd once endured. The scars were fully healed, but the catastrophic nature of the injuries was stunning, and I stood there for a long moment, simply studying him. He grinned with an amusement that extended right through to his one twinkling brown eye. Not armed indeed, I echoed, and my smile, which had naturally wavered, returned as an easy reply to his own. Sorry, couldn't resist. Sten Mathers at your service. What brings a fellow traveler from the Alliance, if I'm any judge of accents, to my vast estate here upon this tropical paradise? Ejok de Santos, lost puppy. Oh, I like puppies. Unconditional love, and what's wrong with that? May I sit? Please. He gestured with his head to some greasy cushions that even one day before I'd have avoided like an exposed landmine. Now they seemed the pinnacle of luxury. Sorry for the mess, he added with a look of regret. It's my girl's day off. She's hopeless anyway. I simply must have a word with her. Help these days, I threw in with a shake of my head. I grunted and gasped in genuine pain as I sat down stiffly, and a little too quickly, so that I spilled over a pile of his papers nearby. Sorry, 
I muttered, trying to restack them. Not at all. I'd have the bot take care of it, but it's down for maintenance. Shoddy quality control, I must say. Automation these days. After I'd mounded the stuff again, we looked at each other. Pointless, easy smiles between us. He had livid reds and purples running to black over much of his head, and a stark, melted aspect overall. One ear a lump in a dry, open socket where an eye and lid had once been. It was shocking and heartbreaking, but his grin was real, and his one good eye friendly. It displayed somehow an inner unconcern and congeniality that made him easier to look upon than many so-called beautiful people I'd met. Are you a fan of the blues? he asked at last, a nodding gesture to the multimedia device. I've heard a lot. Had a close friend once who was crazy for it. I'm more of a jazz man myself. This is exceptional, though. Who is it? Tar Heel Lincoln from back in the 20th. Totally Terran, pre-star stuff. This is the original version, too, not a respin. Well, he was an artist and no mistake. No mistake at all. We just sat there listening to a man, dead for centuries, play impressive guitar and sing about the hard-working Johnny Magic, a pretty girl, and something called a fishery that was burning to the ground. I couldn't follow much of it, but it was sad and soothing, and not a little funny on its own. When the song was over, Mathers dipped the volume of the player with a verbal command keyed to his voice. I always found that verbal commands for audio manipulation were best given through a mic close to the mouth, but his device seemed well-trained, and it picked him out from the music just fine. So what brings you on such a balmy night to our quaint little corner of the galaxy, Mr. DeSantos? He settled back and watched me closely. Ejok, please. I took a wrong turn. I'm crew on Griselda, currently in orbit. A couple of our people, including the captain, were, shall we say, invited to experience the local color here on the ground. I'm not sure why, frankly. The rebels have taken the station, too? Now, aren't they ambitious? That's one word to describe it, I replied without humor. The seculars have my crewmates now. He nodded with understanding, clear to me through his disfigurement and disheveled mane, and he indicated the music again with a nod. Then it's the blues cause of the blues. Truth indeed. But the old guard were no great shakes either, by all accounts. Oh, I've been listening to this music for a long time, Ejok. He smiled again, as if content to just sit and enjoy my company, the greater problems of the world far away. It was astonishingly refreshing. You haven't wanted to go back spinward at all? I queried, finally broaching the subject of his handicap. I should think that a stay on Bombay or Jardin could do wonders for your hand-eye coordination. Oh, doubtlessly, but I'm afraid I've worn out my welcome in the Alliance proper. A difference of opinion, you see, with certain, uh, highly opinionated people. Ah, but if I may be so bold, even one of the state-run residential retreats 
throughout Ainspace would be more comfortable than this. Agreed, but it isn't exactly the law I'm referring to. Oh, I see. Well, that would complicate one's retirement plans. Just a smidge. I have my staff working on alternatives as we speak. I nodded simply and listened to the rest of the tune. Thomas Tar Heel Lincoln warbled on about storms rolling in off the sea and a place called Carolina. Or was that a woman? Or somehow both? I really enjoyed it, but the music was full of context from another time, and my points of reference were missing. This gave it mystery. I'd even say it was eerie, but also very beautiful. Can I offer you a drink? He proffered with a gesture, tapping the closed grano jug with his knee. Early spring, a particularly fine vintage. Don't mind if I do, I replied. It seemed the friendly thing, and frankly, I was curious as to just how bad the stuff really was. His bottle was a two-liter wide-mouth plastic thing, with a long, skinny jug handle molded in a clever fashion so it could double as a straw. I fumbled a bit in trying to unscrew the cap, but gave up after a bit and just took a sip from the handle. The grain was a clear liquid, like water, but with a slightly bluish tint when it caught the light, and it was ever so slightly viscous. I expected little flavor and a lot of harshness, but it was actually slightly sweet and bore an odd, herbaceous character which was not at all unpleasant. I'd had expensive liquors before that had been far less impressive. I nodded appreciatively and took a bigger sip. First taste of the local product? he queried. Yeah, considerably better than his reputation led me to believe. I put the jug down between his crossed legs so he could hunch over and take a pull at the straw himself, which he did easily and expertly. Oh, I assure you, he chuckled, there are brands here that would be in close alliance with your worst expectations. This is some of the better stuff a greatly appreciated gift from a revolutionary celebrant this morning. They've changed the world, you see. Have they now? Well, isn't that nice of them? Yes, indeed. Very thoughtful. We let this lull carry the remainder of the song, and the next one as well. It was warm here, and I peeled off my cold gear. I was getting sleepy, I'd only sipped at the liquor, so it was certainly the exhaustion catching up. The pain made it hard to get comfortable, though, and I must have grimaced a bit too revealingly. You seem to have had a rough day, Ejok. Eh, just some kids playing smackball. And you were the ball, he concluded, and we both smiled. Ribs? I think so, yeah. I have a med kit with me, but it has no bone nits. In response, he sat up and knee-walked across the cushioned space to a small box that he opened deftly with his mouth. Fishing around for a bit, like a dog at a bowl, he came up with a syringe pen. With a flip of his head, he tossed it to me. It was marked as an emergency bone compound. I always keep a few of these on hand, so to speak. I think it's expired. 
I commented, reading the date on the tube. Oh, it's still good. I broke a Tootsie last week and used one from the same batch. He then produced a bare, dirt-grimed foot and wiggled his toes as proof. Good enough for me. Thank you so much. Lifting my shirt gingerly, I revealed a purpling bruise along one side of my chest. It wasn't the only one, but it was definitely covering more extensive damage to the ribs underneath. I had a mid-level medical cert, so I had used bone knits before. I did a quick reread of the instructions on the tube anyway, then twisted open its safety cap. As gently as possible, I placed the thing's flat rubber head over the suspected break, then gritted my teeth and pressed the little trigger button. There was a click and a tiny jab at my skin. The flat head had an almost invisible hole in it now, where the short needle of the pen had penetrated and retreated in a flash, injecting a payload of microcapsules. These were filled with a gooey ceramic material which would bind to any injured bones in the area, filling, expanding, and hardening until the break or damage was gapped. This material would dissolve slowly over time as the bones healed naturally. It would still take a couple of hours to set, though, so a painkiller and mild sedative were also typical ingredients. It'll probably make you sleepy. Mathers commented. Yeah. I was feeling the fatigue more than the drugs just yet, and it loaned a cottony effect to the cushions underneath, to the factory as a whole. Would I be a bother for a time? Oh, no bother at all. My pleasure. Though the new management can be a bit curmudgeonly about last-minute guests, I doubt they'll be around much, what with all the planned festivities. Much appreciated. Digging into my flight bag, I produced the cooler pack of sandwiches and tea. I hereby declare a picnic, I announced, setting it between us. Your conviviality does you credit, Mathers observed with eagerness, and then added wryly, I had to let the cook go. Would you believe he was pilfering the silverware? Shocking. The state of things, I swear. Real ham sandwiches, nothing but the best. Compliments of a rich man, now on the run. Well, we wish him luck, we do. Mathers solved the mystery of how he could go about eating by holding one of the fat sandwiches between his bare feet and then bending over to take bites. It was like a carnival trick, and it made me smile to see a man surviving however he could. I hadn't noticed it before, but the chef had included a variety of small condiments and sides, including pickles and fresh berries in a small covered cup. We ate it all. Truly, there had been far too much for just one person, and it was a fine repast indeed, irrespective of the circumstances. During the meal, and through the armor of our irony, we chatted easily. We talked about Barlow's people, politics, and even its weather. He asked occasional questions about current events in more active centers of the Alliance, having lost touch. I got the impression he was from one of the big capitals, like New Dubai, Jardin, or even Tyree, but he never said explicitly, and I never asked. He was far from home at any rate, 
living a life I couldn't imagine, even sitting there in front of him. Let me arrange a wake-up call, I said, after a time, setting an alarm on my wrist comp for late afternoon. That would give me eight solid hours of rest, though I probably needed even more. Nice rig, he commented, with a gesture to the tiny computer system. I had a good one myself once. Retinals, too? Yeah, but they're new. I've had the implants only about six months subjective. I'm still undecided. I had full orbitals. Still do, in fact, he affirmed, opening his one good eye wide and looking up to the ceiling to display a telltale orange ring around the visible sclera. Oh, that's, what's it called? Eye life? Display and protective coating, right? Expensive. Yes, sir. Eye life was my brand. Quality counts. I have no interface anymore, though. I would order from off-world, but mail service has been dreadful. I'd need a special input device, too. One needs a wrist for a wrist comp, after all. Could you use voice interface? Those are still pretty common and a good fit for you. They can't be too hard to come by, even here. I did try, he replied with a sad shake of his head, but iLife is infamously proprietary. Third-party, hard, soft, and wetware is difficult to integrate with any of their products. And I suppose a new rig isn't in the budget for this fiscal year? A man of means I may have been, he sang brokenly by way of answer, like Tar Heel himself, maybe, although the refrain was from a popular song of just some years back. But, but that's, that's not, not now. now. That, that was, was then. then. We finished together and both laughed out loud for nearly a minute. I was feeling the drugs at last, and it didn't hurt so much to breathe now. I removed my boots and laid back, feeling oddly contented and strangely safer than at any point since the gravity of Barlow had snared me. Mather seemed sleepy too, maybe from the satisfying meal or maybe because he only had so much energy, and things like hospitality and easy humor were draining. Together, we listened to the blues man, who reached out to us through space and time, shedding his light in this terribly dark place. For just a moment, behind the words, I saw Sherry's dark eyes and her quirky grin. I saw her brown cheeks and small, pretty, work-worn hands, her short, full curves, soft and hard where they should be. Her smart, quick banter and absolute reliability. I suddenly felt the profound need to be between the stars, a thing sharp and wretched like a physical blow to my soul. And yet here I was, out of the cold and violence, a gift if only for one afternoon. This person with nearly nothing in life, with nothing to share, was sharing it anyway with a stranger. I could have wept for the beauty of it all, for the splendid woman above and the kind monster here below, openly and perhaps without end. Under the plaintive lyrics of a man long dead, I could have wrapped myself in that reverie, in that beautiful castigation savoring lost opportunities, bad thoughts, and worse deeds. 
Indeed, I might have just spilled right over, save for a quiet, creeping, charitable oblivion, which I chose to embrace instead. You have been listening to Street Candles, written and read by David Collins Rivera. You can check out my site at cavalcadeaudio.com or drop me an email at lostinbronx at gmail.com. That's L-O-S-T-N-B-R-O-N-X at gmail. The Star Drifter theme is a piece called Icor by Trunks and can be found on soundcloud.com. The Street Candles theme is called Undercover by Karsten Holy Moly and can be found on dig.ccmixter.org. This production is otherwise copyright 2013 by David Collins Rivera and is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. Feel free to use it for any purpose, even commercial, and I encourage you to do so. Street Candles is a work of fiction and is not based upon nor meant to portray any person living or dead or any particular place or situation. Thank you for listening. Take care.